Welcome to the Field Sales Leadership Guide podcast, where we discuss with experienced and successful sales leaders what works and what doesn't in the sales profession. Join us as we tap into high-performing sales leaders and their passion for field sales. We've lined up for you some of the smartest movers and shakers in sales leadership to share their formulas for success and the tricks of the trade. Join us as we pull back the curtain, giving you actionable insights and strategies that you can use with your sales team. Welcome back to another episode of the Field Sales Leadership Guide podcast. I'm JT, Mary Keogh, co-host alongside today. Excited for another episode of Process Beats People. I'll let Mary, you uh, you, you go ahead and do the intro and we'll, um, we'll kick off. Yeah, I've been really enjoying these um, solo episodes with uh, JT and I because it's usually me sending a Slack message to JT like, why do you think this is? And then it's, hey, let's record a podcast. I bet <laughs> other people would get some value out of this. So the problem I noticed in some of our conversations with outside sales leaders is there's not a process. There's not a well-defined sales process. Rather than implementing a sales process, what they do is just rely on a few great salespeople. So they'll say, hey, our few great salespeople are doing well. We don't need a process. Like It's fine. The way that we've been doing it, we're growing. But sometimes what we'll talk about in this conversation is when the rubber meets the road, what they don't have is a way to replicate the great salespeople. So that's what introed this conversation today of process beats people. Setting the table just a little bit more, it's most common for me, Mary, to to connect with so many different companies that invest so heavily on recruiting and onboarding to spend so much time educating new reps on industry knowledge, product features and benefits and value props, persona-based conversation training. And then they leave these new highly expensive reps in the dark when it comes to the actual rubber meeting the road. Reps are left wondering, how do I actually attack my territory? I have this list of 500 accounts that you're telling me our go-to-market strategy is in-person relationship building, and I'm supposed to see them in person. I have no idea where these are in relation to each other. Who do I go see and when? How frequently do I go back to these same accounts? Yeah. It's very maddening for a new rep to go through all of that, thinking they're ready to conquer the world and then have them go, but how do I actually do this? Yeah, I'm so glad you brought up the point of investing so heavily in onboarding and product knowledge too, because put yourself in a new sales rep shoes. Now you've been onboarded, you feel confident in the product and you're ready. You're like, I cannot wait to build some relationships and tell people how great we are, right? And then it's like, but who do I go talk to and when and why? Really, the only resources they have when it comes to actually doing the sales process is, well, just be like Jerry or Fred or whoever's the top rep of the of the quarter or the year. So just do what he or she does. Yeah. Be more like them. Yeah. Easy, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I like the way that you, you kind of teed this up, but like we've got the problem and we call it the agitation. So it means that reps who fall behind have very few resources to improve except for be more like the top rep. So let's talk about that a little bit more. We kind of highlight it as companies without those well-defined blueprints to follow. The downside of that is you actually end up frustrating your brand new rep. Additionally, VPs of sales, directors of sales, regional sales managers, leadership ends up flying blind 
as you don't have this blueprint of success or mirror to hold up for the struggling rep to follow. So instead of actually being able to coach them and help the struggling rep, you're left passing along frustration and pressure on this new, highly expensive resources that you just brought on or recruited. Heck, oftentimes, this is where I am. I actually feel a ton of empathy and compassion for the sales leaders out there. Not only can you not help the struggling rep, you're left to walk into these executive team meetings where you're reporting up to the VP, the CRO, the SVP of sales, depending upon the size of the organization, the CEO, and you're left struggling for words because you have no ability to articulate why reps are struggling. You have no ability to highlight what successful reps are doing to help the lower performing reps with the right behaviors. Yeah. You're not able to to have that plan in place to say, do this at the right account at the right time, saying the right things. 100% JT. The thing that I love that you and the rest of the sales team do here at Mount My Customers is when you're talking to somebody, number one, you really are looking for, is this a really good fit for both sides? So you're not pressuring anyone. And one of my favorite questions that you all ask is, do you know what activities produce revenue? So what are your revenue producing activities? I will never forget this one manufacturing leader said, you know what, if my executive team asked me that, if they asked, what are reps doing that's actually producing revenue? I wouldn't know how to answer them. Yeah, that's a terrifying, inadequate, embarrassed meeting to be. As a director of sales, that is your job to be able to articulate. This is why we're failing in given areas. And this is why we're succeeding in other areas. Having those processes and driving successes is key. Yeah. So without a process, you know, we have reps who don't know what to do, executives who can't communicate why the sales team is performing or underperforming. And then we have this other issue, JT, which is how do we maximize the great sales reps? The great sales reps are just kind of left. Yeah, keep doing your thing. We love what you're doing. And the only response maybe from the executive team or from a sales leadership team is, well, just raise the quota. Right. So because they don't have this process in place, now great sales reps are also kind of left in the dust. I would love to have you speak a little bit to how you've seen that play out. The raising the quota thing gives as an individual contributor back in my career, like it gives you a nervous tick. Like just just keep riding the lead horses harder. Top outside reps, while very skilled at building rapport, establishing trust. What a well thought out, implemented sales process brings to the table, not only for top reps, but everybody, is reach. Helping top sales reps build rapport and establish trust across more accounts. Top sales reps are always going to do a great job of establishing rapport and building trust with the accounts that they get to, but helping them know who to see and when to see them in a higher volume play, that's rising tides up to all waters then. So that's, that, that's a good thing. New reps. Without processes, I forget who gave me this analogy, but specific to outside sales, you you end up playing um, Howie Mandel, the bald guy from Deal or No Deal, where you guess the number of the briefcase, hoping that your guess magically holds the million dollars. So you're knocking on doors without any insight at all. With a process in place, you become more strategic, more targeted, spending time with the right accounts at the right time. Okay, so I think we've done it really well. I think we've done the problem and the agitation justice, JT. We've explained the problem. If you find yourself in this situation, you're like, yes, this is me. Now what? One, it's going to come down to communication. So the best leaders we've worked with, 
not only have the vision of actually putting the process in place, but they communicate why those processes even need to be in place in the first place, which gains buy-in. Helping a top rep understand this is actually valuable and easy for me is critical. Helping a new rep actually go and we always call it the speed to the first commission dollar for a new rep. I mean, that's drastically impactful for retention and for momentum. There's a couple of different things that we would recommend. Step one of the process is vet this through the lens of what drives the most revenue for the company. A simple question, but can you as the sales leader really articulate that? Do you know what leads to revenue? If you do, this can become a rinse and repeat cycle where you're really in one of two camps. One, you can already articulate what your top reps do to drive revenue. Or for those of you that might be starting in the dark right now, where do you need to begin capturing those processes in order to replicate and enhance that across the team? Yeah, I love that you brought this up as step one, JT, because we've had two different sales leaders on this podcast before describe those two exact situations. So we've had Joe from Jasper Engines and Transmissions. He did the top rep replication. So what are my top reps doing? How could I replicate that across my sales organization? And then two, we had Luke Wittenbrocker from MacTech, and he was starting in the dark. He's a 26-year-old guy who got promoted to director of sales over a 10-person team, and they had nothing. So we have two examples there, and we're really going to dig in throughout this episode on how those two processes play out. So what does it look like to replicate the top sales rep? What does it look like to start from zero? You know how much of a fan I am with both Joe and Luke, but if you're able to articulate what drives revenue, your very next step is to go with a rep first perspective as to how to help them drive revenue. It is not, well, what dashboards do we need to hold our reps accountable? It's literally looking at what drives revenue and how do we help reps do exactly that. From a rep first perspective, I think I've said this before, but outside sales reps are fickle people. If it's not unbelievably valuable to the outside sales rep, along with being unbelievably easy for the outside sales rep to do, I don't care whether you're in med device, med diagnostics, manufacturing, automotive, outside sales reps will go, I'm making my own Excel spreadsheet. I'm going to put this in my own notebook. It has to be valuable. It has to be easy. I will then say... If you know what drives revenue, you then measure what matters. And I steal that from Joe at Jasper. But measuring what matters are the revenue producing activity. Hold them accountable to why you hired them. And it is to produce revenue, but you're only measuring those revenue producing activities. The result of that is accurate insight and visibility. So two direct things of which I can relate to so incredibly well. Number one is better coaching in your one-on-one session. It's less frustrating and less pressure-filled, and it's way more diagnostic and prescriptive, specifically for the outside sales rep that wants help. They don't want to be failing. Who wants to get up every morning, spend a ton of time away from your family, come back only to have a failed, miserable day that doesn't lead to more money for the family? That's, That's terrible. On the flip side, from a leadership perspective, My blood pressure goes down heading into my executive meetings because I have accurate insight to say, this is what our top reps do. This is where our lower performing reps are right now. This is the game plan to level them up. And I'll share this one other story. One of my favorite customers here, 
talks about protecting top talent that's in an underperforming territory. If you don't have the data as to what drives revenue, what those revenue producing activities are and what those reps are actually doing, you might let go fantastic talent that just might be in a um, a timing challenged territory right now. It might not be skill set. There might be other factors in play. But if you can't measure what matters, you're flying blind. Yep, exactly. And I'll bring it back to Joe and Luke from Jasper Engines now. So what JT is really saying is you need to have, number one, the minimum viable sales process. So Joe from Jasper Engines replicated exactly what his top reps did with each account. So that might have been, hey, they check in, they have this kind of conversation, they leave this kind of material, they follow up in this amount of days, and then it's closed in X time. For Luke from MacTech, it was interviewing his entire sales team. You know, he only had 10 reps, but exactly what they did from discovery to evaluation to scope to consensus to closing and defining each stage in that process. And what they both did was implement a CRM to track this. So not only did they put out the sales process in a Google Doc or a spreadsheet, something where they could say, yes, here's step one, two, three, four, but they also had a system to track it. So once they're there, they have a sales process to find, they have a system to track it. We're measuring the revenue producing activities that produce revenue. So my next stage and what we've seen really successful sales leaders do is start to iterate each stage of that sales process. So for Luke, this was doing why we win workshops, which I think was so cool. He would get all his sales reps into a room and pick out their favorite win of the quarter. What was your favorite win and why? And they would get to brag to their teammates. Here's why I won this deal. Here's why I closed it. And he said, okay, what did you do? What did you do to start that conversation? What did you do to follow up? Why did they become a customer? And then from there, what he found out is he could pull these commonalities between all of the best wins from each quarter. And what that allowed him to do is really define more minutely the stages and criteria for each stage of the sales process, but especially the discovery stage. So I think what he found was if he got three people in the room with a decision maker during the discovery stage, it had an X percentage more likely chance of closing into a customer. So I think that was really cool. But then we also have Joe from Jasper, right? Joe is getting a system for his reps to track data, but they're also now able to find new leads, something they weren't able to do before. So now not only are they measuring this system, good data is getting in, the sales process is working, they can now expand that to new accounts. What that means for Joe from Jasper and JT, feel free to jump in. He gets to stay closer to the customer. And that's what he really wants to do because it helps him hone in on the types of conversations his reps are having with those customers so that he can drive more revenue and help other reps build better relationships. You hit the nail on the head with both of those really swiftly. Back to Luke, those closed one debriefs, it not only helped them identify the stages and the processes and getting those three key personnel in those meetings, it actually gave everybody within the company better visibility as to what their ideal customer profile was. So 
this is the type of customer we're winning. Let's continue to go after those particular customers. I love that. Last thing I would add on this, just as a point of validation, I had a wonderful conversation. It was two weeks ago with the director of sales for a really large med device company. Oversees 50 outside sales reps just in his region. And I was excited for that specific call. It was my first meeting with him because I noticed on his LinkedIn profile that he was highlighting some of his skills in this order, major relationship cultivation and process optimization. We ultimately had some great dialogue about this, but the bottom line on top, the summary of that is without processes being optimized, major relationship cultivation happens in a much smaller account base because you you don't have the far reaching relationships built across a much higher volume of accounts without processes in place. It was a great example of a sales leader, a hundred percent getting it that process enables scalability. It enables much further reach. It lessens heartache and frustration across your team members, and it equips them not only to make more money individually, but to drive greater revenue numbers for the company. I love that, JT. Great story. So we have companies who don't have a sales process. Reps are frustrated. Sales leaders are frustrated. Executive teams are frustrated. So where do we start? We start with building a minimum viable sales process. And the way that we've seen this done really successfully is one of two ways. We can replicate the exact process our top reps follow, or we can start from the ground up and interview and ride along with our sales team to find out how they really move a person from a lead to a customer. So that's step one. Then we have step two tracking that sales process. So what kind of systems in place do we have to use data to validate that sales process? And then of course, step three is analyze and iterate. So now you get to truly step into the shoes of being a leader. You're no longer just managing a team frustrated with the lack of data. You have the data, you have the sales process. Now you get to go lead. JT, just bringing it all back. Why does process beat people? One, it's scalable. Two, it's able to be replicated. Brand new reps stepping in after training with fantastic processes in place. They know who to see and when to see them. And I I will reiterate one point on step two that Mary just highlighted. Make it easy and measure what matters for the reps. You'll get much greater volume when they understand that they're being held accountable to what actually delivers revenue. If you're tracking something, and a rep can't tie it to revenue, they're going to have a nervous tick and you don't get adoption and then you don't have insight and that snowball gets bigger and bigger. I think that does it for today. Mary, thanks a bunch. It's always good to hang out with you. Thank you to our listeners for joining. Join us next time for the next episode. Mm-hmm.